0: So today we are uh, continuing um, in, in Romans uh, chapter 16, which I, I got to, th- this is a really, just a really cool passage. And I, I got to give you some some backstory on, on why I love passages like this starting in, in chapter 16. And we're gonna start in verse one, but I, I love passages like this and they're kind of partial to me because this was the kind of message that was my very first sermon, very first talk about the bible when i was a teenager and and i i preached a, a similar passage to this a little bit different we're going to get in that in a little but a, a little but very similar to this and man i prepared so long for it and i got up there and i was just ready to bring it and it was going to be so awesome and i felt like i was up there for an eternity and then when i got off I mean, literally, I'd been there for about five minutes. But I was, I was so excited. So passages like this are really near and dear to my heart. And, and we're gonna pull out some things that a lot of times we, we, we skim over. When, when we get to sections in scripture where we encounter this kind of pattern. So if you've got your, your Bible today, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 16. We're gonna start in verse one, go through verse 16. As always, the, uh, the scripture uh, verses are gonna be on the screen for you to see. So if you don't have a Bible, that's all good. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this to you. And I'm gonna read you some, some names of some people that Paul had relationships with. Verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinesius, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andron- Andronicus, sorry. And Junia, my kinsman and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Empolitus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ and my beloved statues. Greet Epolitus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the house of Astro, Astrobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those who Workers in the Lord, Tryphinia and Triphosia, greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother for me as well. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermias, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nurius, and his sister. And a pop and, <laughs> ah, ampula, A Apollo, Olympus, there we go, sorry, Olympus, man, tough words. And all the saints who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the church of Christ greet you. Now, passages like this, as you can see, are are not names that roll off the tongue so easily, but they're so important. And the cool thing about passages like this, and especially this one in, in Romans, is that you see Paul in a little bit different light than from even what he writes throughout the rest of the New Testament. Because Paul writes most of the New Testament and he's such a large figure, such a large leadership figure in, in scripture and for us as a church, as he unfolds theology and doctrine for us and, and a lot of how we, how we believe the Bible, how we act towards the Bible comes from the writings of Paul. So he's this just larger than life figure that a lot of times we see at a distance. He's, ri- he's written these unbelievable letters but in passages like this, and especially this one, we see who Paul was as a man, as a person, because we see, them, we see him through the relationships that he had with people. Passages like this are, are, are so important because we get, di- we get to dig down into the leader and, and what he was at his core we get to see his leadership unfold. That he's not just a man that writes letters and sends them out in direction to the church, a direction to us, but he had relationships with people that over and over and over again in this passage, he he expresses his love and gratitude for their sacrifices for, for him personally and for the gospel as well. And it's so cool just to kind of look through this and to examine who Paul is as a leader and examine his character. So not only can we, can we emulate what he writes about in scripture as far as the, the, the theology that he lays out, but we can emulate his leadership, who he was as a person, that this dude is somebody you wanted to follow because... <laughs> He was a good leader. He led people really well. He led them in, in relationship. He led them in purpose. He, he showed them exactly who Christ was and how he lived his daily life, even though he would say that I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. But also to, that he would follow Christ and you could follow him. So I love, I, I actually love this and, and to see this unfold because it's, it's not so directional that Paul is talking about it when he says this, when he's giving this greeting, when he writes this into the, this Roman letter to, to this church, when he brings this up, but he is giving you a piece of who he is, a piece of his heart, a piece of his relationships. And you see him as a man, as a human that relies on, on the people around him to further the gospel. And you see this a lot in, in scripture. Uh, th- this happens so many times. Through, throughout scripture in, in the Old Testament, you, you see this as it lays out even you know lineage of kings. You, you see just lineage of different people in, in scripture and where they, where they came from. You see you know, in, in First Chronicles, how, how the lineage lays out even the very first book of the Bible in, in Matthew, very, book of the Bible, book of the New Testament. In Matthew, you see a list of names. And the list of names is the lineage of Christ, where he came from. And, and so many times I, I know that when we, when, when we read through scripture and I know that uh, you know, we, we read through the, the whole Bible as a church, when you get to these parts, you almost kind of skim over them. And I, I'm gonna tell you just from a, a study standpoint, when you get to passages like this in scripture, don't pass over them. Don't pass over them. Struggle through the names. Just just like I did just a second ago. Struggle through the names. Even though I've read them a thousand times, they don't roll off your tongue. They're tough because they're not ordinary names that you and I would speak every day, but don't skip over them because of that. Struggle through them. And I would even say, maybe take another step and say, who were these people? Go online. Who were the people in this certain passage and what did they do? And it's amazing what will unfold and what you will find out. My first message that I ever spoke was on the first chapter of Matthew the lineage of of Jesus. And the importance of those individuals in that list were (laughs) that they were sinners. I mean, there, were, there was uh, every kind of sin you could think of that was represented in that list until you get to Jesus and he stops it. And he says, no more will this sin go. It will go no further, it will stop with me. And the thing that I got out of even the first passage of scripture from that list of names was even sin in my own family even the generational sin that had been passed down in my own family stopped when I met Jesus. That it would go no further in my family. And it was because of the understanding of this, this, these individuals that I got that in my own life. These list of names that showed something very powerful. Next thing that's so incredible about lists like this is that it validates. It validates the history of uh, of scripture. I mean it you don't get <laughs> any more detail or or value as far as a historical record that when you start naming individual names of peoples that that had stories that that actually did things throughout scripture. And And it's recorded in here. It validates the history of what the Bible says. And that becomes really powerful because it becomes, instead of being an abstract piece of literature, it becomes very real. Very personal. Because the history is laid out in the lives of those in these lists. No matter if they're the list that Paul was greeting or they're the lineage of Christ. We see the validation and the timeline laid out in scripture. It also humanizes It humanizes the word of God. Because we, we know that without the scripture being very human centric, that it's written for you and I, it's written for, for us to hear, for us to take in and for us to change it, for, for it to change us. Then it's just a book. If it's not that, then it's just a book. But when we describe scripture, we have to understand that it is a living document. It is a living document that is able to take my heart and it's able to take your heart and change it, to reposition it, to reposture it, to humble us, to bring us from despair to joy, to bring us out of despair and bring us into our purpose. That is what the Bible does. And it does that because it's written to individuals. It's written about individuals. And the cool thing is, is that Paul understood this Paul understood that God cares about individuals. And that's why Paul included this list in, in this letter to the Romans, is because Paul understood that God cared about individuals, and so he cared about individuals. So many times I think that, and, and rightly so, God is a big God. He's the God of the universe, He's the God that spoke everything to exi- into His existence with His words. He's the God that works through nations. But he's also the God that works through churches like ours that are made up of families like yours that are represented in the individuals that sit around your dinner table, that sit around your living room, that sit around in your groups and it's those individuals that that scripture is specifically addressing with the good news of the gospel because he is a very personal God even down to the smallest minute detail of who you are, who I am. God cares about those things even to the point of things that we don't even think about down to the smallest detail of who I am and who you are down to the smallest atom that make up our existence, our physical existence. And you know what? Even beyond. God cares about the details. He cares about us as individual, as individuals. He He cares about what we do right and and what we do wrong. He cares about our story. He cares about our hurts and he cares about our struggles. He cares about our celebrations. Those things matter to him. He is not separated from them. He is not shut off from them. Those things matter to him, every single one of them. There's not one minute detail in your individual life, in my individual life, that God does not care about. I want you to hear something today. And I I want, I hope that this burns into your mind and in your heart. Cause it's something that really blows me away. That God knows my name. Just like Paul wrote these names down as a greeting, an expression of love to those that he wrote down in, in this chapter of Romans. God knows my name. He knows your name. The God of the universe has thought about me. Thinks about me, is concerned about me that my name has come across his lips. He knows who I am. The Bible says even so much as that he, he put me together In my mother's womb, he he fastened me together. He knows me that intimately when I was so weak, when I was so frail, God knew me. He knew what my purpose was. He knew my personality. He knew what frustrates me. He knew what brings me joy. God knows me. God knows you. And the cool thing is, is that in Paul's leadership in this, and and we see this, how he positioned himself as a leader is that he demonstrates that in how he, he brings up these individual names. He talks about them. He Expresses affection and love towards them. The other thing that we see that Paul reveals in this list is that the church is not all about him, <laughs> which just makes you have to love him as a leader. He takes an opportunity. Did he have to do this? No. If we were reading through the book of Romans and we didn't ever come to this list of people, would you and I be like, well, where's a list of people? No, we wouldn't really miss it all that much. but, But Paul, because he puts it in there, absolutely makes this incredible statement to the church, to other leaders, and if you are a leader of anything, I want you to hear this, that Paul is saying, I didn't do this by myself. I didn't do this alone. I did it with other people. When he talks about um, Priscilla and, and Aquila in this, and, and they were they risked their neck. They risked their life for Paul. when he talks about Andronicus and Junia that were in prison with him. They, they may have helped him write something, spoke truth into him, gave him encouragement. We don't know everything that happened, but we know that they were with him. They strengthened him because of their relationship. We know that Phoebe, the, the first person he mentions, she's the one that's delivering the letter to the Romans. So she's making a personal sacrifice of time and probably resources to be there to to deliver this letter. And she's coming from Corinth. Paul gives away the credit for what's happening in the church. He points out that, listen, listen, This ain't all me. I'm not the one making this happen. It's all these people that have sacrificed their their time and sacrificed their treasure. Some may even end up sacrificing their life for the sake of the gospel. The success of the church is accomplished as a team not just a few superstars because Paul knew that the the church had a purpose and that purpose couldn't be accomplished just by one man or even by 12 guys, even though they hung out with Jesus. but he knew that individuals had to be added to the army, had to be added to the team for the truth of the gospel to continue to spread over the entire earth. The purpose of the church that Paul writes about in Ephesians is really clear. And I want you to hear this. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children, listen to this, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul understood that the the church had a purpose And, and the purpose of the church was to to gather those individuals in their their different, unique giftings, their unique backgrounds, their unique cultures, their unique languages. The church is a clearinghouse for all of those individuals to come together as one and be equipped to go out and do the work of the ministry. And that's spreading the gospel. That's spreading the good news of Jesus that died on the cross and was resurrected on the third day to set you and I free from our sin, just so that we're clear. That is the work of the church. And you know that there is a a, a healthy posture in a church when it's not just one person that does everything, but it's an army of people that have been set free by the gospel, an army of individuals that have been set free by the gospel of Jesus that are going out to do the work of ministry. The last part he says that it builds, the body grows so that it builds itself up in love. builds itself up in love. So how do we, as as individuals, how do we get stronger? How do we get better at doing ministry? How how do we we get more efficient? Because if we look around, we'll say, man, I, I feel like we might be losing some ground here. I feel like we might be losing some ground, especially if you look at all that's going on in the world. And I would say, it's not that we're losing ground, but we are in a battle. It's not so easy sometimes. But can I tell you right now where we sit as believers that know the truth of the gospel, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to do exactly what Paul does in his leadership. And that's to build up individuals, to bring them all together. Can I tell you this list? One incredible thing about this list is that in this list, there are slaves, there are free, there are those who are affluent, There are those who are poor. There are leaders, there are followers, there's men and women, there's Jews and Gentiles. You go and you look up those names and you'll, you'll see how diverse this list that Paul gives us is. Did Paul mean to make that so diverse? No, I don't think so. I don't think it was intentional that he wrote such a diverse list. I think it was just a picture of the church. I think it was just a picture of the church that had been brought together from every creed, every tongue, every place to do the work of ministry. But the thing that made them so powerful is that they were unique but united. They were unique, but united. And I think that's our opportunity now. Is that the church positions itself to celebrate our differences, to celebrate our uniqueness, no matter what that is. No matter what that is, that we celebrate our, our uniqueness and our talents. We don't say, well, you have to look like me. You have to talk like me. You have to act like me. You have to say everything that I say. You have to dress like me. But we celebrate how God has made us a, just an unbelievable tapestry. And he, he puts us together as a masterpiece of art, of different colors, of different sounds, of different thoughts, of different ideas. But the one thing that we can come to, the one thing that we can run to and unite under is the power of the gospel and the love that Christ has given us. There's only one force. Only one force in the world that, that does that. And Paul mentioned that in, in, in Ephesians. That it's, that it's possible to bring us together. And it, it is that concept of the love of Christ, that agape love. The, the God, God-like love that we can only understand when we understand who, who Christ is and what Christ did for us. The sacrifice that he made, that when we surrender to him, that is the only way we will ever understand how powerful and uniting that love is. The last passage of scripture we're going to look at today is 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read it real quick. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. But if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. The last thing that Paul says is the most powerful thing in this passage that that wraps this whole thing up. In verse 16, he says, "I I want you to get this. Please pay attention. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Paul wraps this whole list of people up, this whole list of of his friends, those that he leads, those he has relationships with, those he shed blood with, those he loves like brothers and sisters. He wraps it all up with with this direct statement to the church. He's not greeting anymore, but he's, he's giving a direct statement here. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Because I know we can, we can talk about love and this concept of, uh, yeah, love conquer, conquers all and love fixes everything. And, but you know what? Sometimes that just fizzles out real quick. Because can I tell you a lot of times we don't really know what to do with that. We don't know where to go with that. Okay, I can I love people cool. Paul in this in this simple statement gives us the action step. It gives us what unlocks the key to loving those around us. He says, "Greet one another with a holy kiss." He says Get close. Get close. Close enough to kiss somebody. That's how how close we should get to people. Now I get, we're coronavirus, I get it. But go with me here. We should be close enough to people that we can show them affection. We should be close enough to people that we know their name, we know their background, we know what they struggle with. We should, be, we should engage enough, we should be close enough to people that we could hear the faintest cry for help. We should be close enough to hear them whisper, I'm hurting. We should be close enough to hear their heartbeat and realize that they are flesh and blood just like we are. That's what Paul's saying to us. Position yourself that way. You see, what made Paul a good leader is not that he he wrote these incredible epistles and these incredible letters. What made made Paul a great leader and, and really worthy of the Holy Spirit speaking through is that Paul loved people. Paul loved people like Christ loved people. Paul loved people. Not because of their status or position. And this list proves it because every type is in there. These were not all people that were rich. These were not all people that were pretty. These were not all people that had whatever political status. These were ordinary people. Paul led them well because he loved them well. And he got close enough. He got close enough to to pull them in, to whisper in their ear, I'm so grateful for you. I love you. One thing that I tell married couples all the time, when I counsel with them, I'm even going through a pre- premarital counseling with a couple right now. We had this same conversation. If you're in a fight with somebody, if you're in a disagreement with your husband or wife specifically, if you know that, that you're about to have an argument, and listen, this is gonna change your marriage if, if, if this is you. If you're about to have an argument, tell your spouse. Hey, we're going to take five minutes. I'm going to go make you a cup of coffee or I'm going to get you something to drink and we're going to go meet in the living room and we're going to sit down. We're not going to stand up. We're going to sit down and we're going to hold hands and we're going to talk this out. Can I tell you, it's really hard to be angry when when you're touching your your spouse. It's really hard to be angry with them and continue in your anger if, if you're showing them affection. Now, I'm, I'm not perfect at this, and don't say that I'm not saying that I am, but I know the principle's true. Get close. Get close to those that you may disagree with. Don't keep them at a distance, maybe through a computer screen, or maybe through a phone, or through a text message. Don't keep them that far away. Get them closer. Have coffee with them. Buy them dinner, invite them to your house, invite them to your dinner table. Last thing I'm gonna leave you with is a quote from Spurgeon that says They were like the most, they were like most of us, referring to this is Spurgeon talking about this list that Paul wrote. They were like the most most of us, commonplace individuals, but they loved the Lord. And therefore, as Paul recollected their names, he sent them a message of, of love, which has become embalmed in the Holy Scripture. Do not let us think of the, the distinguished Christians exclusively so as to forget the rank and file of the Lord's army. Do not let the eye rest exclusively upon the front rank, Paul, but let us love all whom Christ Loves. I'm gonna repeat that. But let us love all whom Christ loves. Let us value all Christ's servants. It is better to be God's dog than the devil's darling. How do you love? How are you loving people that you have influence over? How do you love people? Bring them in close, close enough to hear them, close enough to know their name. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. We know that you love us, God, but sometimes we're just not good at (laughs) loving each other. Would you teach us? Would you help us, God? I pray today for anybody that has not come to the knowledge, saving knowledge of your son, Jesus, who who gives us this love. We can only have it through him. God, I pray for anybody that has not surrendered their life to follow Jesus. I pray through the Holy Spirit today that you would move in their heart. God, that you would allow them to, to respond to your calling on their life, to the love that you expressed to them on the cross. For those of you today who haven't made that step, taken that step to trust Christ, I pray that you wouldn't hold back today. God, we love you for all that you are and how you're teaching us and the opportunity that you're even giving the church right now to stand up, to love well. We love you and we thank you. in Jesus, holy and precious name.